So thank you very much, Robin, for joining us today. You wrote such a fantastic letter to staff to thank you, to thank them for their work on reconciliation and having some deep discussions in our classroom to move forward uh, an understanding. I was so moved and asked if you would join us on the podcast. So thank you very much, Robin, for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. So we're going to start. I want to uh, just get into getting to know you a little. Tell us about yeah. yourself and your background, your family. So um, I am part, I'm half Simshian, which is a First Nations nation on the northwest coast of BC. Uh, my family comes from a little itty bitty village on the coast of BC called Kikatla. And my family's from the Wolf Clan. Um, we were adopted Cree because we didn't live in our community uh, in northern BC. We lived in the lower mainland in BC and um, we didn't have access to our elders. Um, so we sort of meshed in with uh, the Cree people that we knew and learned their traditions so we could have some sort of access to culture. Um, and we don't, I don't personally have a lot of knowledge about my family because I've been so far removed. Uh, and now being an army wife, I okay. hop all over the country. <laughs> so um, it's been interesting learning as I've moved through my life. Okay. So you're learning along with the rest of us then about yeah. culture. And, and when you say um, you had lived in uh, away from um, your First Nation and didn't have access to the el elders, can you tell us why that's important? Um, it's important because if you, I mean, for my family personally, um, my mom was born in Prince Rupert, which is in Northern BC. Um, and that's where our people are from. It, it's a range from some little islands and a little bit inland as well. Um, my mom was taken away from her family when she was two. Um, she didn't have any memories growing up with them. Uh, fortunately, she was placed in a foster home, or they went to several foster homes with her younger brother, Ben. Um, but they were taken from Prince Rupert and they lived after that in Vancouver Island, which is a province away, pretty much. It's on um, the other side of the yes. province. So uh, with my mom being taken away, she, you need to go quiet. She grew up in the lower mainland and that's where we were. And we did, before social media, we didn't have access to finding out if there were other people from our nation there. Yes. Uh, when you um, 
had mentioned you didn't have access to elders. I know one of the things that we learn is that storytelling and passing on the traditions and cultures from generation to generation is so important. It's an oral yeah. history. So when you don't have access to that, you're not learning from the people who have that richness of your culture. Yeah. So yeah, and you're not learning, like you said, the oral history, but you're not learning the ceremonies and the traditions that are so interwound in the culture. Right. So you indicated you were adopted Cree and learned that set of culture and ceremonies, but that would be far removed from your own. Yeah. Um, we did a lot of powwow dancing when I was younger and the type of dance that the Plains people do is very different from what my people traditionally do. Um, it's, yeah, it's different worlds, but the sort of ideals are the same. Yes. So you did mention that uh, your mom and uh, your uncle Ben were taken from their home at such a very young age and don't even have any recollection of being with their families. So was that part of the 60 scoop when you talk about that? Yeah, um, my my uh, mom and uncle were part of the 60 scoop and um, they did go to several foster homes and they were actually separated after a time. Um, and I mean, it's, it's different from the residential schools, but the, the idea is the same. So culture is taken away, language is taken away. Um, my mom didn't actually know she had family until she was in her 20s. Wow. She didn't know her older brothers until she was in her 20s and she met the final one when she was in her thirties. So by then when I came along, when she was in her thirties, um, I, I grew up with a bit of family, but some of my uncles lived like as far as Winnipeg. So we didn't, we didn't get to develop strong bonds. Like a lot of families do. Right. Like, and when you describe that, that's such a traumatic experience to be ripped from your family and then so she did have a brother but then you indicated they weren't even together in similar foster homes yeah they were separated when they were still very young can't even imagine and that was the purpose of the 60 scoop is to separate um, the children from their families and to kind of make them um uh, that awareness of the white culture and and that was absolutely the purpose is to, yeah. to rip them apart and separate them so they didn't have that knowledge and understanding to assimilate <laughs> yes that was the word I'm looking for to assimilate them like it's absolutely horrific yeah. um, so why do you think it's important for all of us to know about these experiences that people like your mom and your uncle have experienced? Um, well, for so long, uh, the past has been denied. Yes. 
And it's important to understand the whole history of our country. And it's more than what's in the history books. It's looking at all sides of history. Yes. And seeing the whole story. Absolutely. Um, I know I grew up in a generation where the history books were very Eurocentric and had one point of view. And our classrooms today are not like that. We have those deep discussions and bring about awareness about the history that our original people had uh, living, growing up from Canada and it, it's very different. Yes, we have to be aware of that. So we always appreciate when stories and experiences are shared because that's how we, we gain that understanding. So recently um, we learned some very sad events, the 215 children whose remains were found in the former Kamloops residential school. Um, absolutely horrific. We can't even look at our children in schools, 215, um, and imagine that that could have happened. Why is it important that we have those discussions in our classrooms? Uh, it's important because we already talk about history in our classrooms, and this is part of our history. And like we were talking about before, it's knowing all sides of history and knowing that it's not always like wonderful discoveries and some of it's pretty dark and acknowledging that and learning about it is part of reconciliation and um, it gives everyone a greater understanding of our shared history and move forward together. Absolutely. And it is about learning more. As we learn more, we understand differently. And uh, absolutely. And uh, when you say the word history, though, it uh, kind of takes me, oh, we think that happened so long ago. That history is our generation, though. Like, our yeah. history is not very long ago. When we talk about the 215 students whose remains were found, the last residential school was closed in 1996. And it's not that far from us right now. <laughs> it absolutely is not. So our history, like uh, I grew up 15 minutes from there. And uh, yeah. it closed after I graduated. So that is absolutely yeah. my generation. So when we say history, it's it's not something that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. It it is yeah. happening, you know. It absolutely happened within this generation. And the '60s scoop is not that long ago. So I know no. we talk about intergenerational trauma that has happened from the '60s scoop. And you mentioned that your mom and your uncle they had no ties to family, and what that means for the next yeah. generation. And looking at it from my point of view, because I was learning along with my mom, we actually had a conversation last night. I don't know a lot about my family. Like up until recently, I didn't know where my grandparents died. 
And part of it is wanting to move on with life and forge a new path. But a lot of knowledge is lost. Um, and like, even for myself, it's difficult not knowing because my mom didn't know if her parents were in a residential school or what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So a, I'm taking a lot of time to reflect and try and find these answers out because it's important to know our own personal histories. Absolutely. And so much resilience that has happened in a culture of people uh, that um, to overcome so many things to to be where we are now and to ensure that the, the languages and cultures and traditions are alive and being taught and shared with another generation of people. That is just so yeah. important. Yeah. It's important to know where you come from. Yes. And like there are lots of ways to access it and learn, which is really fantastic now. The power of social media right. is like <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it's a great educational tool. So when we talked about residential schools, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was established in 2008 as part of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement, and its mandate was to document the truth of survivors, families, communities, and anyone personally affected by residential school experience. So Mm -hmm. why do you think the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is important in our classrooms? I think it's a lot easier to understand personal testimonies, real stories of real people. It's not a secondhand account of what happened. It's these people telling their stories and the effects it had on them. And I mean, it's one thing to hear about events in other places and other times but these stories are so recent and the people who are subjected to institutionalized cultural genocide which is what it was what it was and what Mm -hmm. it is um it's i think it's a lot easier for people to connect to it because it's real people yeah Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the words cultural genocide. That is absolutely what had happened. The number of people who lost their lives, the number of cultures that disappeared. And when I think of First Nation people, they were the original people in our country. And Mm -hmm. I always compare it to if I want to learn about French people, I go to France and it's celebrated. And we need to celebrate the original people of our country. And lots of that, as we've said, was lost. There was cultural genocide for for years, years and years. Yeah. Yes. So hearing about that is so very important, hearing the stories and the impact and to get an understanding of of how we are where we are today. Mm -hmm. So in your email that you sent to staff, uh, you talked about the discussions in the classroom and reconciliation. And 
I just wanted to ask you why you think reconciliation is important to Indigenous people. Um, because for so long, uh, we were treated as less than. Um, we were told what to believe, where we could live, and when we could leave there. Um, First Nations people had to apply for a pass and be granted a pass to leave their reserv their reservation. And if it wasn't granted, you couldn't leave. Right. And that was legal. But that's problematic when your people are, nomad are nomadic and you follow your food when you have to follow the caribou or the moose to survive. Right. That's problematic. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> you need to eat to live. And if you're told you can't leave, it then becomes very difficult to live. And like, like we've already discussed, children were taken away from their families and their communities and it was legal and the parents couldn't do anything. The elders couldn't do anything to stop it or they were put in jail right. Yes, and they were imprisoned. And like in the email that I sent was a point that it's very important to me. Um, you're not allowed to speak your language. And many First Nations languages are dying languages. The, there isn't enough knowledge and there aren't enough people around to be able to speak it every day. I have access to an app myself to learn my language, but I don't have anyone around me here in Alberta who can, who is from my culture to learn with. It's a lot of denied cultural history. And when it's being passed down from generation to generation to generation, it's, a lot of it sort of gets lost, but there are also a lot of people making books of our stories from our oral history. So there is some access to that now, which I'm really grateful. And I found some of that stuff from my village and my history. Um, it's a lot easier to find with the, the world wide web. Right. <laughs> um, but I mean, for so long we were denied and having discussions and talking about it and people learning is what makes reconciliation so important. Yes. Oh. Because for so long it wasn't talked about. Yeah. I'm really glad you mentioned that it was denied, not talked about, illegal. People were, as you said, taken away. People were killed. It was illegal to celebrate those rich ceremonies, to powwow dance within cultures, to celebrate um, when a baby was born, all of those things that are passed from generation to generation. So yes, it might not be illegal now, but we are still living with the generation of people who experienced that and are hesitant because 
they saw horrific things happen when they did try to celebrate. They couldn't speak their language. That's why all of that is lost. Yeah. Yes. So it gives a, a sense of why it's important for Indigenous people. But why do you think it's important for all of our students to have that awareness and understanding and that we have those discussions in our classrooms? Well, um, a lot of change happens with young people. Yes. It's not the, it's not always older generations where change begins. And certainly it can, um, but young people are so amazing and resilient and passionate about different subjects and having discussions so they're aware of what is in what has happened and why it's important i mean young people are the leaders of our country yes. they're going to take control of our country and the experiences they have when they're young and the discussions they have when they're young shape our future and i mean that's really important yeah, absolutely. I remember teaching History 30 probably 15 years ago to a group of students. And one student um, put up their hand and said, Mrs. Halayan, you have to understand and be patient with us because what you are saying is not what we've learned all these years. And that was only 15 years ago. So yeah. they, you know, got to grade 12 with learning some things that were not a reflection of truth in this country. And, uh, you know, they recognized this is taking us time because this isn't what our parents have shared, our teachers have shared. This is different. So we have to go through a process, lots of people, about unlearning what has been shared and taught to them. And so, That's yes, really I powerful for a young person. Absolutely. <laughs> That's a yes. really good insight. Oh, yes, it absolutely was. I, you know, for an 18 year old and, you know, just to be patient because and then it takes many conversations. But now in our classrooms, I do feel that we're doing such amazing work to have those discussions and teach the dark history and bring things to the table so people have that understanding. We don't need to unlearn history because we're we're being honest about what had happened in the past. Yeah. So my last question with you is how can we as Buffalo Trail Public School um, reconcile with Indigenous people what can we do? What can we continue? What should we start? How do we move forward from here? Okay, I so think, my last question is five. <laughs> okay, so I think a lot of it starts with learning and having discussions with people and and learning about these experiences. It begins like this, like yes. you and me right now talking. Right. Um and I mean, yes, it starts there, but we could also reach out to members of parliament and ask why some, not every Canadian has access to clean water. Right. 
um, or supporting indigenous business like Sister Sage, which is a wellness brand in BC and like another, there's actually a really cool 10 year old. Her name is Maya and she started a business called Cook'em Scrunchies and she makes scrunchies and hair ties and they have a product line that she started and she's a really cool kid um and she's based out of quebec um and just really talking and learning and seeing what's available like a lot of indigenous business exploded during COVID, there are so many websites with Indigenous artisans. It's amazing. And it's really cool for me to see because I didn't see that much before COVID. And being able to access my culture in that way, like by beaded earrings yes. or, or or soaps and bath bombs and salves from Sister Sage that are inspired by our traditions is really important and special to me because it's another way I can access my culture in a modern setting. Yes, and it, and it brings honor and respect to the culture and traditions and ensuring that we're, you know, if I'm going to be purchasing and wearing uh, jewelry and it should come from that rich history of people who have lived that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so. I mean, you, you can see a lot of gift shops that have first nations inspired stuff for sale, but it's not always, from indigenous people themselves it's right. ripped off yeah. a bit so yes. supporting the actual people is really important and finding out where the things are coming from is really power a powerful thing to do and i really appreciate you saying in covid it's really kind of uh you know been brought to light even to you um and so it's easy for us to find authentic and uh you know purchases that we're looking for so as people listen to this and are looking for gifts for people uh you know you mentioned some some good things that we could absolutely find out and we'll probably reach out to you and we can put some of those in our podcast notes as well yeah well and a lot of first nations businesses support their communities um, Sister Sage, I know, uh, works with a pilot to bring needed supplies to First Nations communities that are in the North, where typically it's really hard to get rid of the things you need. Or if it's there, it's got such a high markup because of the distance it's had to travel. Right. So it's really nice seeing indigenous business supporting communities that need it. Yeah. It's great that you brought that up. And I want to go back to just some of the things we need to learn because you mentioned that not all First Nations have access to clean water. And uh, when we talk about how can we uh, 
move forward in reconciliation and, and write our MLA and ask these questions. That is absolutely one of those shocking things that every time I read about it, I'm horrified that so many people, so many children do not have access to clean water. And you can go to any of our schools in Buffalo Trail Public Schools, and we have amazing water fountains so readily available. And we take yeah. sometimes the little things for granted that uh, not everyone in this country, shockingly enough, has access to. So yeah, thank you and for if you that. bathe in that water, it creates issues with your skin. And if you drink it or cook with it, it has yeah. issues with your health. So yeah, clean water is a very big thing. Yeah. Uh, anyone who's lived through a boiled water advisory for a day, <laughs> a week, and it's annoying really has no idea like that yeah. because it's forever that some yeah. places still have no access to clean water. Yes. It takes a so, lot of boiled water to fill up a tub. It really does. Yes. Well, with that, Robin, I want to thank you for coming and sharing with us as we work towards truth and reconciliation and have more discussions in our classroom and make sure that people have an understanding and awareness of why we have these discussions and why it's important to all of us. Uh, this is Canadian history. Uh, and as we talked, history not so long ago, but this is you know, part of our commitment to truth and reconciliation. And it's just so very important that people share their stories and understanding with us. So I'm so grateful you joined us. Yeah, well, thank you for having me again. It was really nice to sit down and talk with you. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Robin. Take care.